where were we at the time? Poker was still the largest by audience and revenue kind of poker game in the world, but we were flat, flat as a line. I think it was kind of doubly a problem because for the first time really ever, poker had a material competitor in World Series of Poker from Playtica. So we set off on a, a longer term user research journey, bringing this lens of just deeper qualitative insights from users directly through a number of exercises really helped us round out our understanding of the customer, what they wanted and what we could offer them that would really have kind of outsized impact. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Katie Kuffel, and I'm joined by Liquid and Grit CEO, Brett Novak. On this episode, we chat with Eddie Le Breton, who is currently head of product management for the Spark Camera and Augmented Reality platform at Facebook and former general manager and vice president of Zynga Poker. We delve into the research process that helped completely revitalize Zynga Poker, how Eddie and his team used max diff studies and customer feedback to drive meaningful revenue change. Eddie begins by explaining how it became apparent that Zynga Poker needed to change direction in order to stay competitive and on top, what some of the issues were that he and the team had to address, and how they went about tackling them. This is Creators at Work. I stepped into the general manager role of poker around, I guess, 2015. Poker is a tentpole product for Zynga. It is a tremendous business with a huge bottom line that really funds a lot of uh, the rest of the investment for the company and that sort of thing. You know, poker, we'd seen, I don't know how many games come at Zynga Poker, particularly in the social uh, days on Facebook web, and none of them really had a chance and none of them really took off. But around this time, you know, we had a real competitor in World Series of Poker from Playtica. And, you know, this was kind of the, the second at bat with the WSOP brand after EA, you know, uh, had an attempt. I don't think we took it as seriously as we should have when it entered the market because of, you know, that, that prior experience. So again, we were flat. We weren't declining. We weren't, you know, kind of in some precipitous drop that we had to uh, resurrect. But from like a market share basis, we were losing, right? And the WSOP was growing while we were uh, flat. And that proved that there was more in the market, you know, for us to go to go after. You know, this was uh, also around the time when I think that we were transitioning from uh, Pincus's second stint as CEO and then moving into the Frank Jabot era. And, you know, the rest of the management crew, largely from EA that he kind of brought over, you know, they were obviously keen to, you know, angle change, you know, where poker was going and, and, and figure out how to do better there and brought a, perhaps like a, a bit of a different lens. And I think where we were and why, you know, we were as flat as we were is there was, you know, kind of touching on the earlier comments, there was this kind of traditional method within Zynga of getting a feature approved, right? You know, you had to kind of show up with your product funnel. Uh, your metrics funnel a priori before the thing had even launched and say, here's the step in the funnel that we're going to move. And it's going to be this much because we have a comp from another feature internally that's this big. And that's how we get to this bottom line impact of more users or more revenue. And I think that was a great accelerant early on when we're really learning about and, and grabbing the low hanging fruit and the culture, as you guys have talked about on previous podcasts, was so open across at least the PM layer across Zynga. So something found in Farmville would quickly get into Frontierville and if applicable to poker, we'd jump on it too. And uh, But I think what we got to was at the end of the day, some pretty reductive thinking where we're just looking internally about, hey, this thing worked, does that other thing work? And this, this, this requirement to kind of, I don't know, just the impact beforehand with a clear 
defensible comp got us into really small and incremental kind of gains. And so, you know, after stepping into the GM role with a little bit more ownership and direction of the product you know, and kind of repeating that pattern, just seeing these features go out with, you know, kind of minimal diminishing returns. Right? So we had took a step back and we had to think about, you know, well, how do we, how do we really figure out a roadmap that's impactful and we'll build something? A lot of comparisons to WSOP as a product growing in the market. And um, really kind of more of an emphasis on, I don't know, traditional marketing and user research levers, you know, like Frank in particular was a marketer, you know, kind of cut his teeth as a marketer and, you know, went up the ranks in EA and other places. And so he brought that lens, particularly of competition, you know, breaking them down, understanding what works for them, what might work for you and that sort of thing. So we set off on kind of a, a longer term user research journey, right? And so, you know, I think in your time at Zynga and certainly my time leading up to that, like we were so analytically focused and we did that so well, but it was kind of a narrow perspective, right? Bringing this uh, lens of just deeper qualitative insights from users directly through a number of uh, kind of uh, exercises really helped us round out our understanding of the customer, what they wanted and what we could offer them that would really have kind of outsized impact. So when I think about like where we were, features that we were launching, they were really just like further optimizations of what was already there. You know, there was like a few major systems in the game and we were just continuing to polishing them and that would lead nowhere. So, you know, we dove into the research, got, you know, a great partnership with uh, Matt Penfield. I'm not sure if you guys overlap, but fantastic, fantastic head of consumer insights uh, at Zynga. We did some customer personas, you know, who are the types, who's the socializer, who's the competitor, that sort of thing. We did uh, market positioning and brand positioning, like, if we wanted to be and try and compete with WSOP on more of a competitive angle, like would the market even believe that's credible from us as the kind of fun and social poker game, that sort of thing. But the one exercise that by, by and large paid incredible dividends, it was a, a divining rod, if you will, to like good feature outcomes was a, a max diff survey. And so if you're unfamiliar with a max diff survey, it's very similar to a conjoint analysis. And so, you know, the traditional kind of explanation of a conjoint analysis and what it's for is like the B-school definition, which should resonate kind of how do you price an automatic transmission, right? When it's first going out into the market. No one's had an automatic transmission. What, what should we charge for this thing, right? There's no precedent, right? So the way it works is you kind of show configurations of an automobile in you know various different ways. Here's a blue one with leather seats and automatic transmission. Here's a brown one with cloth seats and standard trans transmission. How would you pay for it? And over a large sample, you test all the permutations over a statistically significant audience and through math that's way over my head, you can kind of begin to deduce the dollar value of the incremental pieces, right? And so that's how you figure out, well, what's, a, what's the price of an automatic transmission? So through similar math, we ran a big survey where we took our top 30 big feature ideas, like the things that we had been talking about since you joined in you know, 2010, 2011, right? And put them in a, in a big survey to a huge audience and effectively gave people A, B choices. Like, do you want feature A or do you want feature B? And we did this over an audience of Zynga poker players. We did this over an audience of World Series of poker players. And we did this over an audience of those who had said they were interested in poker, but weren't yet playing one of the games. So what's the addressable audience out there that you know, hasn't been converted to one of these apps because they were so sticky. Um, and what we got back in this you know, 60 page deck from uh, you know, a survey company that we work with externally, really there was one slide that mattered. And it was this chart of these 30 ideas that we had given them with, you know, brief explanations of kind of what they were and, um, uh, you know, stack ranked and graded uh, priority. 
And so you could see you know, what is important to our audience, what's important to the World Series of Poker audience, what's important to the other, uh, you know, the, the uh, yet to choose a, a poker app audience. And not only in stack rank, but there was a numeric value. So you could kind of identify like what really mattered and what's the long tail, where's the cliff, right? And you could also tease out, well, what's the common things? Like what are the things that our audience wants as well as the competitor's audience? What are the things that their audience wants that our audience, at least as stated, doesn't really want? So you can really uh, get a much better understanding of like where you should place your bets on these big features. You can't justify with a funnel a priori because they're so net new and are, are big investments, right? These are multi-half investments, maybe multi-quarter investments that, you know, in the historic process of justifying these things, it was just really, really hard. And honestly, I'm not sure we would have been able to do that under prior leadership. I think it did take a bit of a, a change of leadership and their um, familiarity with a process like this to really make it work. But, you know, we went not top to bottom um, off that list. The number one thing was, you know, real money payouts, which of course we couldn't, you know, satisfy, but at least set the ceiling of what a poker player wants, right, on the list. But yeah, I mean, we we went through that list. We took some, you know, analytics and, you know, just kind of common insights and understanding of the other features we were building to put them together. But that really gave us, I think, the conviction to go after much bigger features that proved like a step function increase. And so we really talk about those and like how they all came together. But um, I would say that tool was really the most useful thing to kind of blend a qualitative understanding, even though it was quantified, you know, but with like the, the just the raw analytical focus that, you know, Zynga had traditionally uh, brought to the problem. You said that was a tool or is that just a process that you did through this third party company? We did through an uh, external vendor and mm -hmm. they really were to facilitate the survey, but more importantly, like uh, find the audience collect the audience to survey. So they oh. collected the audience and then executed the survey against the audience. And we provided, you know, the input and then they came back mm -hmm. with, here's, here's how everything was scored. They're like the atomic level. That's me yeah. taking the survey leaderboard right. more than a reward system, you know, but it's right. really like how you take all those individual decisions and then roll them up into like quantified, you know, um, stack rank with levels of heat, right? You know, this one's a 99, this one's a 72. It is definitely something that, you know, I don't think might not be in reach of a two-person startup, you know, um, as you get bigger, you know, I think it is something that you should consider for kind of your arsenal of inputs into your product development and prioritization process. You know, I can say from experience, particularly currently at Facebook, like user research is, you know, uh, part of every team in a way that, you know, it wasn't early on at Zynga. And so um, obviously, you know, different levels of funding and that sort of thing. But I think pairing the qualitative with the quantitative peanut butter and chocolate, right? I mean, it, it will make uh, kind of a better product at the end of the day. I mean, we can talk about the results of it, right? So, you know, we did this survey, we kind of gained conviction in some big bets, you know. Well, we... before you go on, was that an ongoing thing or did you just get that one? And then just because I'm curious is like, what, you know, next quarter, did you do a refresh or did you... We did. Um, I'm not sure if it was next quarter. It might have been six months, might have been a year. I don't recall exactly, but it's something, you know, because of the time and the, you know, and the cost, it's not something that you do, you know, like uh, every month. But I think it is repeatable. And I think actually, you know, if you can bring some consistency to the audience you're surveying, if you can bring some consistency to the questions that you're, answer, uh, you're asking or the features you're promoting there, I think it's interesting to see it migrate over time, right? Are things perennially top of the list? Are they, you know, kind of um, temporally top of the list? and that sort of thing. But I think we got less utility out of the second one. Honestly, the memory's a little bit fuzzy there. I think either the roadmap was uh, already kind of complete and there was less room to insert things, but, uh, but that first 
one, you know, kind of individually, like really angle changed, you know, the growth of the product. Because it's interesting when I, a couple of years ago, I wanted to create some type of tool that was this monthly type data driven, somewhat what you're talking about, but be mm -hmm. able to scale it for the teams and stuff. And I, I still somewhat do, but there's a lot of, it, it's hard. It's because the, the data is really the hard part. I mean, the survey, the max diff, that like once you build the first one, the second one becomes a lot easier because you're just adjusting it, maybe adding a question or two or whatever, but you're basically doing the same analysis and 80% of it's pretty similar. It, the, the players and the surveys and the quality data is just really hard yeah. to get. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just, I don't want to say night and day, but just very different from like running an A-B test, right? It's not like something I can whip up and, you know, test with X percent of the audience and understand. It's something that you have to get in front of, you know, if I'm going to need it in two months, I got to have, I probably should have started it four months ago. So you kind of got to plan it in, in terms of the cycles and that sort of thing. And um, I think it's something you do well infrequently. You think, mm -hmm. remember, what do, we, what do we have on the, uh, oh God, on web poker? The link uh, test, the survey, the link test, and, oh, the, dude. Another, and the other version what? of it. Oh my God. What is the link test? Oh, this is legendary. Okay. I can't believe you haven't talked about the link. No. Test okay. So the link test tool is like a C I kind of hinted at this, but this was like a secret tool of mine and not that it was a secret to me because everyone used it, but I used it all the time. But basically what you could do as a PM, and this is just wild to think that this was acceptable. You could go into this tool, it's called the link test tool and you could create different strings, right? So it would be like, mm -hmm. Katie is a great co-host. Katie is an excellent co-host. Katie is a funny co-host. Like, and just write 30, 60 of these expressions, right? And then in the tool, you could then put the percentage you want to see it. So you put point. 5.5.5.5 point, or 0.1.1. Point, so that's the percentage of DAU that are going to see it that day mm -hmm. or whatever. And then literally you press submit and it would be live in the game that second. And in the game on Facebook web, people would be playing and a little line would show up and be like, Katie is a great co-host. Thumbs up, thumbs down or X out. Okay. And what was incredible about this, literally in about five hours, you'd have statistically significant <laughs> data on whether Katie was considered a good co-host, happy co-host, a funny co-host. And of course it would be specific to the game itself. So mm -hmm. it would be something like, do you want a leaderboard? Do you not want a leaderboard? And I used to test it for headers and it was actually something that I thought was very effective. So for a high-low mini game, for example, I tested win. 1 million coins when 1 million spelled out one zero 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 one million with a dollar sign when all the permutations <laughs> it became a copy testing of. tool i yeah. think uh, yeah, at was... the end of the day yeah yeah, yeah. and then eddie's gonna think of the name hopefully soon but there was also i think it was called the ghetto test tool <laughs> but there was a more advanced version where you yes. sort of had to get approval you sort of had to On get the top nav it had a graphic it had a graphic. You had to get art for it, which was one step, right? But some PMs could probably put something together or you grab some graphic from the web and then you could do the same thing, but it would actually be a pop-up that would surface over players. So they'd have to look at it and it went nowhere. So it would be like, play this it leaderboard. It was a dark pattern if you want to use Play this leaderboard and you click it and it would just be like, sorry. And you could do express, sorry, leaderboard isn't ready yet. <laughs> yeah, it would say, do you want to buy this thing? And you'd click it to buy the thing. And then it would say, oh, coming soon. Uh, we'll let you know when it's here. And there was actually a test that... I, 
where it was a buy button. Yeah. And it went like a couple steps down where we went through the funnel because it was a bold beat and he wanted to test it. So it was literally like you tested, clicked on this link that showed you the feature. You went to the feature and then there was a buy button. You press the buy button. It's like, sorry, this is out of order or something. Like it literally went you down this whole rabbit hole and then said, sorry, you can't buy this now. But it was a tool that you could use any, any time. And it was amazing. I, I loved it, but there was some dark aspects to it. It was, it was, it was incredibly useful. Um, it is definitely like uh, a feature that's solving problems for us, not people, you know, it's not adding customer value at all. Right. While you did get a spread of things, you know, in the link test tool, if you looked at the spread, you know, those spreads were very thin, you know, like we're talking about, you know, deltas and numbers that are, you know, on the, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of a, of a CTR, right? So I sometimes cynically wondered if we're just checking, you know, people's willingness to say yes or no generally, but it was, it was impactful. I mean, it was, it was, I think the ability to rapidly understand things at that level of confidence is an accelerant. And I think in the early days uh, of Zynga, it was absolutely, you know, one of the things that separated us from the competition. At a point, it became, I think, overly used, or at least the, the approach, right? Uh, uh, both that sort of testing, as well as, you know, the aforementioned, you know, kind of funnel analysis to get something approved mm -hmm. effectively. And but in absence I think it was... of another way to prioritize, you know, it's not a bad one, I would say. No. Yeah. And actually, that's a great point, Eddie, because I feel like a lot of data and tools are disregarded because they're not hundred percent confident. And there's a great quote from a book that I love called product development flow, which is in the absence of no data, data is really great, right? Any data And if you can get to 80% information on something, it's super valuable. So you might as well do something, even if it's back of the envelope, because that's way better than where you're at. But a lot of times I do hear people say, well, you know, this was, that's not hundred percent confidence. Like, well, I mean, you're no data. Well, you're never going to get to hundred percent confidence. <laughs> I've had this debate at, um, you know, places post Zynga, right. You know, it's, um, places with, uh, quite in incredible tools, you know, beyond what we had in Z stats and, and likely beyond what kind of the market's providing from some services, but it debates like, you know, look, we want to move quickly. We want to make improvements Are do we really want to wait for 95% confidence? Like, if we got to 80% confidence, is it good enough to just be comfortable with that and move on to the next thing? You know, these are environments, you new know, lean startup environments where you're rapidly iterating to like a metrics goal and it's about shipping new things and understanding what works. And so there's, there's a balance between kind of, you know, obviously exposure to the audience, uh, speed at which you'll get a result and then the confidence in the result. And, you know, I don't know, it's kind of the golden triangle from like the, the, the analogy to a kind of the uh, development, you know, questions there. Um, but like, which one are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for speed or are you optimizing for accuracy or optimizing to four kind of deltas in the product experience that you might be presenting? You know, I don't think these things are solved. It's just a question of where you land on the dial between, you know, kind of those three dimensions. When you and I joined Zynga as product managers, you know, like the function was pretty new, you know, like a product manager was generally like someone who managed consumer product goods at PepsiCo and figured out like, how do I get more shelf space? And that sort of thing. Like a digital product manager was a very new concept. You know, when I applied to Zynga, I applied as for a marketing role. And only because I had, uh, you know, a relationship with uh, someone in recruiting from an internship by identity A, was she like, actually, I think you should apply for this product management role. I had no idea what it was, you know, like they, uh, you know, at that time, this was Zynga's first class of, you know, B-school product managers. They were not recruiting at UT, uh, University of Texas. 
Um, so, you know, I snuck in under the wire just because of this relationship. And, you know, I owe a lot in my career to Mary Ayers, who just said, yeah, actually apply for this one instead. And when I read the description, I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want to do. Right. I just, you know, it was so new. You know, we found a tool that really worked and that became very culturally like viewed in, in what we did and became part of the kind of um, uh, how we made decisions. And um, but I think as the kind of craft and the market evolved, I think, you know, product managers now need to really have kind of command of uh, really a suite of these tools. You know, you can't just be a one trick pony and expect to be successful uh, these days as a product manager, in my opinion. And that's a great point about the product management. When I left Zynga, I felt like I met a fair amount of product managers who had very little of any of those skills and yet had the product management role. And I was pretty disappointed because I felt like they were watering down the title, which was going to hurt my salary in a way, because it became basically just people who like tech and had an opinion. And they would basically just walk around the office saying, and this was after Zynga, but saying things like, I think this is a good idea. I was like looking at him like, that's the thing that I used to tell my product managers never to say, like never lead with your opinion. No one cares about your opinion right now. Like go with the data first. If you know you can add your opinion at the end, but your your purpose here is not to be another opinion. Because as Michael Caine used to say, if it's my opinion versus your opinion, I'm, we're gonna go with my opinion, which was his opinion, right? Like he's the boss, you know. Like he's uh, like, I have I've heard that from multiple people. Yeah, you know? uh, very recently. <laughs> Well, so back to the story. I mean, I don't know if you want to continue to talk about some of the stuff you did, but I mean, I'd love to hear it. I don't know if that would. Yeah, go no, we should talk like, about it. it no, it's good. It's good. Um, so anyway, where were we? We were talking about new leadership, well, implementing, uh, implementing yeah. some of them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you had the yeah. focus on, um, you know, focus on the competition, but also really deeply understanding the consumer and where we need to go. Max Diff was a tool. I think one thing that we had under leveraged previously was honestly like just a ruthless prioritization of customer service tickets and like where were the complaints coming and that sort of thing like you know we we i don't think we leverage that enough like i think there's like an idiom in product management or like consumer research where you know consumers won't really tell you what they want and i forget like the traditional examples like you know they say they want a, a hammer and a nail but they really just want the picture hung on the wall or something you know all those stupid things and i i think that's the true to a degree but i think typically in like products where people really understand the product they're in it every day they're using it every day like they're quite articulate about what they want and what's broken and what could be better right um so i think if you're moving away from like an abstract product idea and into something that's like directly about something that you're managing I think you can lean on, you know, the, the, the consumer um, significantly more. So we ran this survey and we were able to generate support in, you know, kind of that room where we need to make decisions. You know, we have weekly product reviews. we got Frank. we got uh, his whole slew of, you know, new C-level folks, you know, we've got Mark who's still showing up. Mark's coming to like two meetings a week. One of them's poker. So, you know, it's like he really cares about this stuff. I think between, you know, Frank and you know, Mark with this like, aggressive entrepreneurial metrics point of view and you've got frank with this like you know still aggressive still wants to win don't get me wrong he's a competitor but uh, a little bit more of a a lean back and let's uh uh, you know think through this from some you know more traditional methods gaining some advocates in that room bernard over there was a strong advocate for poker and, and a huge help through this period but anyway we were able to align on hey these are the things that our audience really wants 
these are the things that we need to build. And it's not going to be quick win. It's not going to be a quick hit. You know, it's not going to be 2% DAU in two weeks, right? It's going to be something bigger later, right? And that was, you know, at least within poker, that was very different. You know, we had bold beats, which was our avenue for this, but this was really like, let's do bold beats across the whole studio. You know, we're not doing quick hits anymore, we're doing bold beats. And, you know, there's a little bit of hyperbole in there, but it's, it's largely true. And so, you know, we looked at the max diff and, you know, what's bubbling to the top. And we see, you know, things like um, refreshing our uh, leaderboard mechanic. So we built, you know, uh, single poker leagues, which have seen multiple iterations from yourself to Pawan and that sort of thing. And so we had, you know, kind of the current iteration that was built into the Poker 2 product um, and really needed a refresh visually and, you know, how it worked and, you know, um, some of the mechanics behind it. Um, but we also saw, you know, shortly behind that, you know, kind of as that is a PVP system, PVE, you know, strong demand for PVE, right? So we built this, you know, and uh, PVP, player versus player, PVE, player versus environment. And so uh, we built a, a challenges system. So you know, I don't necessarily want to beat Brett, right? I want to uh, beat this goal that you're giving me, right? It goes way mm-hmm. back to like early multi-user research in you know, like personas and that sort of thing. The competitor, yeah. the killer, the uh, socializer, <laughs> and the completionist, right? So like, just like finding a system that fit each of those, right? So here's what players are telling us fits a mental model that we can kind of grok to, right? And, and we can see how these things coexist. Would also bubble to the top, you know, like a unified reward system that would kind of marry the two, or at least more rewards, right? You know, obviously more rewards come, come always come to the top, in, in, especially in casino games, right? So we took that, we saw these three systems, we said, okay, let's build a new reward currency and prize tickets. Let's make it pay out from both the, um, the league system, as well as the challenges system, as well as integrating it into our existing VIP program, make a more cohesive thing, you know, lightweight gotcha at the end of the day, like, let's just be honest about what it was, you know, so that was one avenue, you know, then we looked at, um, you know, kind of consumer feedback through a number of lenses. Uh, and these are the CS tickets I'm, I'm referencing. So, but you can probably remember, we would always get tickets from folks saying that the game cheated them. I should have won this pot. Oh. This pot was five million chips. Give me those five million chips. You guys are broken. And, you know, it wasn't true. You know, like this guy, it wasn't true. Like the poker simulation was accurate. But what did we do with the poker simulation? We tuned it to be so quick because we wanted, you know, chips moving, hands moving. We wanted engagement. We wanted, you know, like currency flowing through the system. So it was easy for people to not understand what was happening uh, at the table. And so we gave Mike Rich, and you might remember Mike Rich, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, at this point, he was a designer on poker. And uh, we gave him some time and he came up with, you know, working with, you know, the artists and others on the team, this uh, system called Hand Clarity. And it was, a, it's a really elegant system, plays in the poker now, I think it's still in there, to um, very clearly articulate things like split pots or a pot that was one with a kicker, you know, like we had the same two pair, but I had a king and you had a queen. Before this system was very hard to like understand when those things were happening and why you lost the hand, but a very awesome kind of just simple uh, visual framework to explain those those results of a hand, uh, like dramatically reduced tickets. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. We did a lobby redesign. Um, you know, that could be dangerous. <laughs> Lessons from Poker 2 on that one. But we went to, oh. we did an event with uh, Twitch at South by Southwest. And I was literally sitting on the floor of South by Southwest, handing the new poker product to people and saying, here, go play it, go find a table. And they're looking at the lobby and they don't know 
how to navigate it. Like they don't know what to click to get to a table. Like us in the studio with our blinders on, we're like, oh, you tap here and then you tap here and here's how you get access to the last table you played. And that's when they didn't know it, right? So like, you know, mind blowing things like we need to fix this. It's funny how much memories come back during the podcast. And I remember you guys were kicking butt during this time. I mean, I can remember the quarterly financial calls of Zynga. Zynga Poker would get shout outs for their well, features, the it, uh, which it is probably landed. bad because it was like public information that challenges was crushing it and leagues was killing it and, and all this different stuff. My memory was a little different because a lot of these things like coincidentally, not uh, intentionally kind of landed all at once. So, you know, we had these big new systems in revamp leagues and challenges and, you know, the, the reward center and everything. We had hand clarity. We did a big effort to, um, better matchmake tables by skill level. We finally took advantage of PHT. Remember the player hand tracker, you know, something that was like internal analytics and maybe a little bit of fraud prevention, but we finally (laughs) found like a real product use for it. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of unintentionally, they all kind of landed in this one build at the end of 2016, if my memory serves. And internally, you know, we, um, each of our releases was named in alphabetical order after a superhero. So this was the Ultron build. So we're all targeting this U build as you know, Ultron, as when all of this awesome stuff is going to land. And I think there's a lot of value in that that I learned after the fact, you know, it's like having everyone oriented around a singular goal, like a singular like mountain to climb, you know, together. It's like, okay, we need leagues to land on this date. We need challenges to land on this date. We're going to do like a lightweight reprice and some marketing and a sweepstakes around it. So you know, hurry up, guys. We need to make sure that lands at the same time. But it really gelled the studio. I've never seen the studio act as like one unit towards one goal and that build. And it's funny because in the room with Pincus and Frank and everything, I think it was Lincoln Brown who like called it like a grand reopening. And in the first time he said it, you know, all this stuff landing, I heads nodded. So I'm like, okay, that that resonated. So I'm going to use this framing, the grand reopening. And then a few <laughs> weeks later, you know, I forget if it was Frank or BK. It was like, sounds like a Chinese food restaurant in a strip mall. Like, what are you talking about? The grand reopening. You know? <laughs> and, yeah, so we, we found new names for it. But, you know, that's what it was at the end of the day. But really that we, this build, dropped and then numbers just you know you saw the the step function in retention and engagement every metric and i remember standing at the desk while you know the early part of this and juan gargi someone you should get on this show who was my director of product at the time and fantastic person and as well as product manager just kind of looked at me and he's like eddie i think this is gonna stick you know i was like i think this isn't like uh, a pop right And from these systems, better aligned with what the consumers wanted in their poker product, like hitting, fixing the problems they had, addressing their, uh, you know, kind of motivations with new deep systems that they can go after. It just, just an organic increase in engagement and retention of pretty material amount, right? We were, again, kind of the largest poker game by audience and revenue in the social space. We're flat as a line. Uh, we grew kind of linearly from that point of that release, 50% in both, you know, roughly in both you know, audience and bookings um, over the span of kind of, you know, I don't know if it was three or four months, just as, you know, the balance of, you know, uh, you know the WAU model got to that new level, that new balance of in, inflow and outflow. And it's no UA. There is no advertising budget. It actually, I don't know if I should say this, but it unlocked, uh, you know, LTV positive ad spend, that effort uh, for poker, which is just more growth on top of it from there, right? 
So, I mean, what are the lessons there? Like, you know, mixed methods in terms of your approach to how you build a roadmap, finding conviction to do bigger things. I feel like a lot of times people gravitate towards the Henry Ford, like, well, if I asked my users, I, I would have built a faster horse. And what you guys did was you did ask your users and you got the, the response that I have, must admit when I was at Zynga, we kind of glossed over, which is more rewards, which we glossed over is just, everyone says that of course we want more rewards. And they stole my coins, which we would just gloss over and say, no, we didn't. <laughs> and I think that you went beyond the objective, which I've learned through probably the last three years of, of my life through, uh, we've talked about my psychiatry work, is that it's never about the thing, right? And it's never about the thing that's in front of you. And you guys looked at that and were like, okay, well, what are they trying to really say, right? It's not the thing. What is the chips stolen mean? right? Mm -hmm. Like what mm -hmm. does the rewards mean mm -hmm. and how can we give them what they like emotionally want, even though it logically isn't the dots aren't connected, right? There's logic. I kind of say my expression these days is like there's spreadsheets and then there's people. And it's like, what is the people aspect of us and how can we solve it? I love to hear a little bit more about that because I feel like out of those, I mean, obviously challenges leagues, like they, those are out there. You did an awesome job with those. I know you did a great design, but the other two are actually more interesting to me. This concept of the, like explaining the hand clarity and then, and then the rewards, you know, honestly, like of all the things I have uh, had, you know, some association with within poker, that might be my favorite because I think that just got to the root of a, years long problem for consumers and did it in mm -hmm. such an elegant way. Like, you know, I encourage everyone like download Zynga poker and like watch how it explains what happens at the end of the hand. It does it in a, it's just a really tight and effective design system. And I, I, I continue to give credit to Mike and the team for putting that one together. I think that one, um, I think we just got fed up. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, well, one, we prioritize the feedback more. So we said, we're going to do something about these things as opposed to just listening to it. Um, but every time we dug into them and, you know, Alan and all the old, you know, community managers who would <laughs> honestly, the thankless work of dealing with, you know, the customers that were upset, you know, um, every time we dug in and we went through the logs and we looked at the hand, it was like, no, you lost, you know, like that guy had a better hand at the end of the day. Like, you know, so so we realized we had done something wrong in like our, in the product design and we had to fix it. And I think that was one where honestly, it's been so long now. I can't remember like the catalyst for the prioritization or the decision. And it's also mm -hmm. one that like, again, I credit like a kudos to the team because I don't think when we said, Hey, go solve this, we were probably expecting faster turnaround. We probably didn't have it as high on our agenda as like a meaningful thing, you know, but they pushed back and they said, Hey, we need more time. Hey, we're going to really, you know, do this well. And it's one of those things that like, you know, you just don't really know until you do it and you feel it. And it's like night and day, it's so much better than it was before. So I don't take a lot of credit for like um, insights of, you know, Hey, we really, you know, hand clarity done this way is what's going to solve this problem. It's really empowering the team to go after an important problem and giving them the space to do it. I think that's an important point that I think you did well. And I think Lowe did really well as was that when you're a leader, it's harder to let go and it's better to let go. And I think that's what makes great leaders is that you can know when you're going to yeah. say what you want or do what you want or do what you think is right. And then also have that ability to let go of control, right? The decentralized control system. And I think Zynga did that really well. And you did that well. And, low, and Zynga Poker, I think, was just structured well that it, 
it allowed people to get direction, right? Hey, we want to fix this problem. We think that people are saying they got cheated for a reason. Obviously we don't know what it is. Go solve it. But that's, that's the amount I'm going to, of leadership I'm going to give you. I want you to go solve it. That's not easy to do because when you're a product manager like you or me, and you just want to solve that problem, you're like, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Or how about this solution? Right. Even as a leader, when you say that it puts a lot of risk mm. on the PM because now they'd have know your boss thinks they want, he wants to do this. Right. Multiple times uh, have learned the lesson of the influence of your own voice, particularly as a leader, right. You know, an errant thought in a meeting that's just like a brain fart or, you know, random neurons firing and it comes out of your mouth. And all of a sudden, two weeks later, three people are in a corner, like trying to deliver on that thing. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. that was not the intent of what I meant by that comment. Right. You know, so I think learning yeah. the, um, uh, the impact of your, your opinion is, is, you know, particularly those that are kind of, you know, accelerating up the career ladder, I guess, is um, something that good to know proactively, but will often happen, I think, retroactively to, to kind of those who get in that position. I think to the examples, like, I don't know if I get, I would give us so much credit on like the foresight of the centralized rewards. It's kind of like, that's like a design solution that the team came up with, right? It's like, we prioritize these two big game systems plus a reward system. Why shouldn't they be unified? You know, like let's put a currency behind mm -hmm. them all. And that's kudos to the team for seeing this and coming up with a better solution. But it just comes back to, you know, I don't know, the kind of age old adage for products of, you know, like bring problems, not solutions, you know, um, when you're starting, you know, uh, an exploration on, you know, product development, you know, I've certainly erred in that, <laughs> in doing the inverse of that, um, you know, in my career multiple times, but, you know, many reasons. And I think the more impactful outcomes are, you know, they start there, right. They start with a problem and they give people uh, airspace to, uh, you know, explore the solutions and really understand it before kind of zeroing in on execution. I think one of the things that you were battling with too, is that it was a little bit too decentralized for so long as in poker that we had the franking game, right? So it's like, you didn't have enough strong centralized vision to have this unified game. Mm. You had basically PMs running around doing this over here and this over there and this over there. And then you have the difficult job in 2016 to basically make it uniform. And that's a lot harder when you're sticking all these things together, moving these things around yeah. and all that kind of stuff. The balance of, you know, kind of bottoms up versus tops down um, product management, right? You know, how do you take the bottoms up ideas from the team that are clearly the teams that are closest to the customer, closest to the metal, understand the situation a bit better but aren't necessarily going to coordinate, you know, across all the other teams as cohesively as something that might come, you know, kind of tops down. Um, and so, you know, it's a challenge of goal setting. Uh, I also think just our, um, the time we gave ourselves helped there, you know, because sitting in reviews of feature A on one team, feature B on the other team, you can see the connections, you know, honestly, that might be how prize tickets became, you know, a, a kind of pervasive, uh, you know, kind of prize currency. It's a good point because I see it often is, you know, um, if you push all of the decisions too far down the chain, what comes up, you know, from various teams can be disjointed. But if you push decisions all from the top, you're not operating off the best insights. You're not operating off of understanding of, mm -hmm. you know, the system for technologies, the customers, what they're thinking, all of that. If you're too far on the pendulum in either direction, I think you're, you're, you're in for a little bit of trouble. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And thanks again to Eddie for coming onto the show and sharing his expertise with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait to make more of them just like this one for you. So until then, 
Here's a little something to close us out. Remember Jaharo, you had like the one desk, like right in the corner the entrance to the left. Yeah, I was my wife posted a picture of me in that desk from circa, yes, like 2010, 2011 recently. I do really remember. It's like, oh, yeah, that dude, he's in charge of almost a million dollars a day. And he's just sitting over there. Just one guy. <laughs>